I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. The information depicted in this podcast is purely for informational purposes only. Please consult your healthcare professional before making any changes to your lifestyle or routine. Hey everyone and welcome to the Boost Your Biology podcast. My name is Lucas and I'm the founder of Ergogenic Health. Together in this podcast series, we will go underground to explore cutting-edge health and human performance insights that you simply cannot search on Google to help you upgrade your existence. So without any further ado, let's jump into today's episode. What's up, everyone, and welcome back to the Boost Your Biology podcast. Today's special guest is someone who has years of experience in the keto space. Joining me in on the show is Joe Rogerster. Welcome to the show, man. Yeah, thanks, Lucas. Great to be here, bud. Awesome. So, Joe, maybe you want to let my listeners know how you got so fascinated into, um, I guess, the ketogenic uh, space. Yeah, for sure. Look, it's been a long journey, right? I think everybody's that's into nutrition is on that journey. And so mine all started to, you know, I'll try and make it short as possible. But in my 30s, after being like a total gym junkie, supplement, absolute consumer, the best the supplement company's dream for, you know, my entire life since I was 16 years old. Then I, I sat down on a, at a desk <laughs> and and I got stressed and busy and uh, and I got fat. And around that time, I was also, I guess, discovering that the nutrition world or the the food manufacturing world had maybe been giving us some misinformation. And I watched a movie called Food Inc. I you know very famous, and then read the book afterwards. The movie always came first for me. <laughs> read the book afterwards, and then you know, went down the rabbit hole of reading a whole bunch of other books. And at one point it was actually a a book called um, Skinny Bitch. And I forget even who the authors were. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but it was a very funny, sarcastic thing. And they talked about what they did with baby chicks, basically coming off a a food line. I was like, that's it. I'm never eating meat again. (laughs) And I basically went, you know, as close to 
just like dumb vegan. Dumb vegan, I think of as I ate cheese, <laughs> cheese, cheese and vegetables. That's it. And like really got into Indian food and all that kind of stuff. And then I, and then I got fatter. Right. So I, I would, I thought I was doing the healthy things, got fatter, you know, then got into, you know, diet sodas and everything. And, and then I not only was starting to be like a, you know, late thirties kind of overweight guy, um, put on probably 25 kilos and, um, overweight and then starting to, uh, my joints feeling bad you know, and like now I can't move as well as I used to. It seemed normal because that's how my friends were getting too. And I finally met somebody that inspired me about nutrition. And and we had moved to Florida from Canada, originally from Canada, Toronto area, moved to Florida and uh, got introduced to CrossFit. And the, the CrossFit box owner had the Paleo Bible on his shelf. And, uh, and I read that it blew my mind. I went paleo dropped all the way, got really into CrossFit. And around the same time we moved to Australia and I got a chance to, my wife moved over for her work. So they said, you know, you got a certain amount of credits to either go back to school or improve yourself or, you know, become a good Australian citizen. And so I used that to get my nutritional therapy certificate. It was based out of like sheer anger at the nutrition industry and the supplement industry after discovering that paleo was just about eating real food. And so I just wanted to stop everybody making all the mistakes that I had done. And so I, I kind of became this health warrior. That's what I thought of as myself. And I was just really angry at every supplement there was out there and every, you know, and I, so I, I blogged about it. I, uh, I wanted to expose every, every supplement that was bad and all the, the food manufacturing things that we're doing to keep us sick and big farm and all that kind of stuff. And then somebody said to me about uh, almost six years ago now, well, what do you know about uh, ketones and ketosis? And I was like, I know it's a crap fad diet, the most restrictive thing. It's never something I'd, I'd recommend. And at the same time, they introduced to me drinkable ketones. And I was like, this is the biggest load of crap that I've ever heard in my life. You know, it violates every uh, law of biology and chemistry I've ever read about. So send me your magic pills and I'm going to research them and test them. And then I'm going to tell the world why to never put it in their body. <laughs> and anyways, and then I, I, so I started talking to people about keto at that point and started saying, oh, what is this crap? How come the keto diet's coming back? I thought I was an informed guy, but like I was, you know, behind and didn't realize that this has been emerging for so long and how good it was. And, you know, just like I think anybody else that spent some time actually looking at the research, then I realized that this is no fad diet. It's a, a medical therapy that's been studied for a hundred years. And there's a lot of good that it can do for a lot of people. And so I became a massive fan of it and a massive fan of taking away the confusion about it, hopefully. Mm -hmm. so that's kind of, you know, my journey to, uh, to how I found it anyways. And that's been five years of getting to go around and talk with some of the top scientists that are really bringing this back to the forefront of, uh, of the industry. And, and I guess, you know, talking to people about the real keto and bringing it to the next level. Mm, awesome. Awesome. So John, I'd sort of love to dive into, I guess, for my audience and my listeners, maybe do you want to explain to them what are the, the common misconceptions around the common myths or misconceptions around the keto, keto diet? Well, I guess it's that diet word. That's one of the biggest things, right? You know, back in the 20s when they were studying it as a medical therapy, they, it was a way of eating. 
to mimic starvation and get our body producing ketones. So they called it the diet and forever <laughs> gave it that stigma. And so that's one of the biggest misconceptions is that this is some new thing, right? And, uh, and it's not, right? And that it's only for fat loss, right? It, you know, it was originally studied, as, and I'm not telling anybody anything they don't know, but it was originally studied for epilepsy. And then the, the studies started to show some other great benefits. And then that all got stopped and, you know, research went away for a while. And now it's all coming back like crazy. And so, yeah, so the, the fact that it is just for fat loss, that's like way down on the list, mm. right? But look, fat loss is a big thing. It's certainly a great market. And obesity is a huge problem. So it definitely has, uh, has some big benefits for that. But then once you get into, when you got a big market, you know, the world grabs a hold of it and bastardizes it and, um, and, uh, and gets it all over the internet. And so then, you know, these things like dirty keto and, um, and all this, um, kind of infused mishmash of what the keto diet is. I think, you know, there's, you know, the, uh, it's just gets very uh, confusing for everybody. So, so yeah, so I think, you know, those are the biggest things. I mean, the also I guess the biggest misconception that has uh, come to now is that it has to be this restrictive diet. It is, you can eat delicious food all the time. Like if you are a foodie, it is the diet <laughs> to be on. And, uh, and also, you know, there are different other little things like you got to stay on it for the rest of your life. You know, it's going to, you're, you're going to gain all the weight back once you go off of it. It's all kinds of crazy things they've done to keto. And we just got to, alleviate that confusion yeah with um with that initial research around it supporting or helping in epilepsy do we understand any of the potential uh, mechanisms or, or why it may be helping yeah i think they got a pretty good understanding of the uh, the brain um, now it's it's probably the biggest area of uh, of emerging research on all of this um but it's, you know i like to keep it simple because the main thing that was going on when they were treating epilepsy was, and they're, you know, it's uh, now they're bringing that back, right? Um, as it, in the 1920s, it was uh, one of the primary ways that they treated pediatric epilepsy. And then they came out with, a, you know, an anticonvulsant that made a, a lot more money than putting somebody on a, on a way of eating. And that went away for a long time. And now great organizations like the Charlie Foundation, in the United States, some other ones all around the world are making that more of a, a known thing in hospitals are starting to work with it, but it calmed the brain down. Keep it simple. It calmed the brain down. You know, we've got so many excitatory things and this is calming for the brain. And that has a lot to do with the, the research that they've done on the increase of GABA and the, the balancing of the GABA to glutamate ratio, which why it's, you know, why that's a very cool thing is that has something to do with everything from you know, just the stress and anxiety you feel, you know, if you're driving to work to full-blown mood disorder, you know, depression, you know, every area of mental wellness. Then, I mean, then it, then it starts to get really cool. You know, they then they did some studies showing that uh, these ketones, not the keto diet, but the, the result of the keto diet, so that the ketone molecule can increase mitochondrial production and in the brain and uh, an increased mitochondrial efficiency. So all of this is making the brain uh, a more efficient uh, machine, as well as the fact that, you know, if in our general 
carb fueled life that most of us all had before we, you know, kind of move back towards, uh, you know, a, a more metabolically balanced uh, diet, then our brain had to have uh, insulin in order to get the fuel from the carbohydrates. And so that insulin is an up and down thing. So all day long, our brain would be going through this up and down energy. And then boom, all of a sudden people get into a keto diet again, or they start taking MCT oil, start drinking ketones or intermittent fasting, whatever mechanism to get the body uh, ketones in the body. And now the brain's got this even energy. It doesn't need insulin to use ketones or use medium chain triglycerides. And so now the brain's uh, like got a better energy source. And I, our combination of all this stuff is why now, you know, tons of money is going into research on all areas of brain function. Yeah, it's really fascinating taking a look at that GABA to glutamate ratio and how powerfully um, I had a little bit of experience in the past with exogenous ketones. I think I told you about that um, prior to this. And I remember definitely having it first thing in the morning fasted and I went all the way up until like midday and I felt, I definitely felt like I had a massive dose of GABA. Like I just felt really calm, really focused, pretty easy to get into the flow state. So maybe Joe, do you want to explain to my listeners with the actual exogenous ketones, tell us how they sort of vary. Yeah, for sure. Well, they, look at it. Um, and that was totally my experience with it as well. You know, in my very angry at the person that shared this with me, and it was a doctor, it was a doctor of food and nutrition science. And I thought, man, like there's just no way that this works. So I got the little sachets, right? And, you know, uh, people have, most people have heard about them now, still an amazing amount of people haven't, but it's basically a powdered form of ketones. And and you drink them, you shake it up in a, in a shaker or whatever and, and, and drink it. And you get like a, you know, good dose of uh, ketones. We used to test our blood. People would test on pea strips, but you test your blood and you'd get the original ones like a 0.8 boost of ketones in about an hour, which is like phenomenal, right? Like any, anybody that's chasing ketones, you know, some people struggle to ever get to 0.8 because we're also freaking insulin resistant and have hormones and all these other things that are holding people back. So that was a huge deal, but I didn't understand that then. All I did understand is that like three days into it, I was lit up. Like, and I, had, I hadn't followed a keto diet. I had followed Atkins, you know, back in uh, the late eighties and, um, and lost some weight, but never understood what it was all, all about. And so, uh, so yeah, I was like, man, there's something going on with this. Is this the caffeine? Is it what else is in here that's making me like this? But yeah, it's uh, it definitely that uh, you know crossing the blood brain barrier. And pro once you properly fuel your brain again, some wonderful things happen. Mm -hmm. So, um, so the what then as I started to look into ketones at the time, what had happened was, you know, Dom Diagostino, who's like, you know, one of the godfathers of modern day keto research had been approached by the U.S. military because they wanted to stop their divers, their U.S. Navy SEALs going into something a lot like an epileptic seizure when they were using a recirculating oxygen tank, a rebreather. And so they brought the, the soldiers down into hyperbaric chambers, mimicked uh, keto, got them into a keto diet. And the seizure stopped and their performance tests all went through the roof, right? So they, you know, the military thinks super soldier, um, like everything, you know, cognitive ability, stress and anxiety, dealing with all these things. They were calmer, right? Because of exactly what you experienced and I experienced. And 
And so they gave them a huge government grant to isolate the ketone molecule because logistically at the time they, uh, you know, they thought there's no way we get our, our uh, soldiers following this diet. Now it's the recommendation to the entire U.S. military, like all their branches is a keto diet. But at the time, they wanted to isolate that ketone molecule. So they did. You know, we've the exogenous ketones have actually been around for ages, but they like had to inject them in order to get them into our blood. So Don Diagostino, there was two camps, one at Oxford University, one at a University of South Florida. Oxford University was looking at the ester form of exogenous ketones, and Dom was focusing on ketone salts. So binding the ketone molecule with a salt. And then what he found was that the real thing that stabilized it was that in MCT oil. So yeah, the original version was a chemically synthesized ketone and you'd get there. It was the racemic form. So some of the D and some of the L isomer. One is the bioidentical one, the D isomer. That's what our body uh, produces when we follow the keto diet. The L is like the mirror image. So almost the same, but not quite. The verdict's still out on whether it's good, bad, better, whatever. But it was a chemically synthesized version mixed with a lot of salts. And so, but it was drinkable. And the ester was like way is like drinking jet fuels, disgusting. And so this was something that was tolerable. They could easily give it to their soldiers. And, and then also the University of South Florida saw some dollar signs and, uh, and went out shopping the patent around. And actually, nobody, you think about it now, it's this huge industry, exogenous ketones, right? Like, arguably, the biggest sense, protein shakes, right? Because there was never, you know, everything else has been done, vitamins, you know, whatever, pre-workouts. But this was the first of its kind of a new supplement. And so, but nobody wanted to do it because nobody could understand what it was. So a couple of companies brought it out and it went nuts. And then, uh, you know, another year or something like that passes. And then every company out there wants a piece of the keto train. So either they are putting keto, they're taking the, you know, the sugar cane out of their shakes and replacing it with sucralose and then slapping keto on it because now it has low carb. Or there's some things that are, you know, that actually have BHB in them. And, uh, and, and now there's loads of people that are producing BHB because it makes money. So you got varying levels of you know, ones that are okay. There's a few good ones that are on the market. And, uh, and then right down to this stuff that you can go to Alibaba um, and get these pills that have basically, you know, next to nothing in them, you know, fairy dust of, uh, of BHB. And it's the worst possible quality, maybe created with formaldehyde, who knows, but they're pushing that out on the market and saying it's all the same. And there's, there's no regulatory body that's monitoring, okay, how good is your ketones? Who's doing third-party testing? There's none of that yet. It's still too new. And so now, fast forward a, a few years later, there are a few ones. Price is a good indication of quality. It actually is because you've got the ketone esters, which are super expensive, still disgusting the taste, but getting better. But about 30, 20 to 30 bucks a serving. And then you've got some of the, the really good ones that are about 10 bucks a serving. You know, the ones that we kind of recommend are, are the ones that are fermented and they've actually isolated the D isomer. So the one that is bioidentical to the one the body produces, and it's no more chemical synthesis. I think, you know, that it's going to continue to get better and better. The knowledge about them is going to get better and better, you know, mixing it with different things that, um, you know, are going to either enhance brain function or enhance weight loss is going to get better. 
it's just a big emerging industry right now, right? Where that people are just figuring out. Yeah, yeah. Fascinating with the um I know when we spoke last time around the um fermentation of the the, the ketones themselves, I would love to I would love to gain some clarity around. So you mentioned the BHB salts and then the the ketone esters. Do you want to sort of break down really simply the different types that are available? Yeah, for sure. You've got the ester form, and uh, and there's a couple of different ones, but there's only really one on the market. And you know, without if you see ester, if you see one that's in a liquid form, then that's you know basically going to be an, an ester form. And then you've got mixed ketones, uh, so racemic blend of uh, ketones, and that's basically everything else on the market, right? If you don't see someone saying it's a bioidentical ketone, then that's because it's probably a lot cheaper ketone. So if they're saying it's bioidentical, they're charging for it, right? So you're going to know it. So basically anything else on the market is a mix of those two ketones. Um, And again, you know, I, I won't say either way because I think the verdict is truly not in. There's some research that shows that the racemic mix might have some good value. And then I know there's a lot of good holistic health people that say, look, you know, if you got one that's bioidentical, so if you look under a microscope, you can't tell the difference between this ketone that you're drinking or the one that your body's producing naturally all the time, enhanced if you're on a keto diet. So if those two are exactly the same, then that's going to be better than if you've got one that is not the same. It's an unnatural thing that you're putting in your body. So, um, so yeah, so the verdict's not out on that. Uh, but then, and then you've got this, uh, they came up with a way it's very expensive, um, to ferment them. So get rid of the chemical procedure. And in that you are able to get this pure D isomer ketone to my talks with the, the people that know about the manufacturing, it's the only way to do it. Um, I think some are going out on the marketplace and again, there's no way to regulate this yet. Um, but some are going out on the market and saying, we've got a pure de-isomer. But as far as my knowledge, you're not able to get that through chemical synthesis. But, you know, just like the food world and, you know, making artificial sweeteners has gotten better. Maybe they're getting better in uh, in the BHB production world. Interesting. Cool, cool. All right. Well, I'd love to also delve into a range of compounds that may be able to sort of enhance you know, sort of enhance the ketone production. I'm aware that caffeine, you know, is able to help the body make its own ketones. So is there anything else out there that you've sort of explored in that realm? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think the MCT oil is something that everybody needs to start working in their diet. You know, as we learn more about fats, what we've learned, like look at the, you know, our uh, omega-369 knowledge now coming from, you know, we, you know, the, this old uh, thing and this, how much it affects our health. So, and then moving into like quality omega-3 instead of just the crap at Costco or whatever. And so that, and then you learn about MCT oil. This was one of the biggest things I think, you know, if people move to cooking with coconut oil, that is one step. But then I do think that there is some, because of the, there's so many benefits to the actual MCT oil, C8 and C10. And, you know, and Dave Asprey really kind of brought this to the forefront, you know, a long time ago. And he's a real pioneer for this whole keto industry as well, that whole bulletproof diet. 
But, you know, that there's so many benefits to the brain and it will, it produces ketones, right? Like, you know, the, the MCT oil will, A, it's a fat that the brain can use. So it has some benefits over just the ketones. I mean, I'll wrap in your brain cells in, uh, in this lipid that it really needs. And that's really where a lot of the, the neurological research is headed. So MCT oil 100% will immediately start increasing your body's ketone production, whether you're following a keto diet or not much less the fact that it's going to enhance your brain. You know, some things like taurine and, uh, and leucine can also be great for, uh, for enhancing uh, ketones. When you start combining all these things, I really like, I think the, the verdict's out on, you know, how much this helps, but acetylcarnitine as well. And I think that just like caffeine that you started the thing that you mentioned with, this is where one big thing that we have to learn People are different, right? Like I might respond great to acetylcarnitine. Other people might not. Mm. I have a great acceptance of caffeine. I'm enjoying <laughs> bulletproof coffee right now. And other people, like it just throws them nuts, right? So when people say, uh, oh, caffeine's awesome for ketones, and they think, oh, then, you know, ketosis is not for me because I don't like caffeine, right? So the same thing with all this stuff. But yeah, you know, one thing that everybody has to have in their life MCT oil. Start getting your gut <laughs> used to it again because there is a big uh, tolerance issue with MCT. So don't go. Uh, I remember somebody, the first time I had a bulletproof coffee, it was from a, I forget what it was called. I think it was called the Paleo Cafe in, uh, in Cannes. And I had a really bad day after my first bulletproof coffee. But, you know, the now as someone that is, uh, I got a lot of dementia and Alzheimer's in my family. And as anybody that's looking to have a healthy brain long-term should be consuming as much coconut oil MCT as they possibly can. Mm, awesome. Awesome. Yeah. I guess it's a good time then to brush up on um, understanding the differences in MCT oils. Cause I personally haven't looked into my assumption is that the, most of them are all pretty similar, but are there any differences, I guess, in um, extraction or quality around MCT oils? Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you're going to, I think there's a lot of, um, it's not as bad out there. There's a lot, if you've got an MCT oil, they're basically run right now by the, uh, the health world. And so it's not such a big market that everybody's just going crazy for it and making it as cheap as possible, but you know, you go organic or from a very reputable brand as much as you possibly can. Right. And you've got, you know, there's uh, like Dave Asprey Bulletproof, but you see this all over. In general, they, they strip out the, some of the stuff that's in coconut oil and keep the C8 and C10. And I think that they do that. One big thing is you feel the impact of it, mm -hmm. right? Like if you're having that, you feel it a lot more in your brain. And so that's very marketable. I think there's also, though, some great benefits. There's some good formulas out there that have, uh, that have heavily. Uh, you know, they've more prominent in C8 and C10, um, but they keep the, the C12 from the coconut oil in a, a little bit of a larger amount because it's very antimicrobial. It's got some, there's some really good health benefits that you don't get if you're breaking down the full MCT oil. So um, I've also seen like there's a good mix that has uh, phosphatidylcholine in it as well. So it helps the, uh, the uptake into the brain. And that's, you know, my favorite uh, one of all of them. So, yeah, I think, you know, MCT 
if you go in and you find an organic one, you're going to be great. Mm. Right? The, uh, it's a, a pretty good way to uh, judge it right now. Mm. Awesome. And in terms of, um, in terms of the, like the cookability aspect of it. Yeah. What, what can we, what can we see there? Well, I mean, yeah, you know, that's one of the greatest, I guess, evolutions of this is, uh, and a, a, hopefully a mission that I'm on is just to wipe out that freaking margarine aisle. Yeah. I just, I, I can't, can't even fathom it in my mind that you go in and there's margarine, like margarine on any shelf. We know that this Franken fat is just like horrific for everything having to do with our humanity. And um, people are still buying and they don't know. And, you know, these crazy sprays that people are putting, putting on. So like, it's again, to keep it simple, you know, cook with butter or coconut oil or lard, if you want our animal fat and any of these things, and then just wipe out anything else from your cooking list. Yeah. I want to cook with an MCT oil. I would just, you know, uh, keep it to coconut oil and you get like great organic coconut oil that's, you know, not super expensive from sustainable farms. That's what you really want to look into. Is it a company that's advertising that they're from a sustainable farm? If you really want to get conscious about it, you know, research it, <laughs> look it up. But, uh, but the, yeah, there's a lot of great ones out there. And so, you know, MCT oil uh, or coconut oil, if you kind of go and cook with that. Now, um, there's some ones that are better that for like some people don't like the coconut taste. Some people do. If you're cooking like an Indian or something like that, it might actually enhance the flavoring. But I mean, you know, you might love to cook stuff in butter and that's okay too. Butter, coconut oil, animal fats, great for cooking things because they have this very high smoke uh, heat. Uh, so they can, uh, once you start to, people that are cooking with olive oil still, as soon as that starts smoking, it starts to change the chemical composition and a very healthy olive oil can become not so healthy. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Well explained there. I think it's, um, you know, important, I guess, also from, I'm coming at it from like a hormonal perspective from a, you know, optimizing testosterone, you know, we know that grass-fed butter, and saturated fats are actually positively associated with higher testosterone, whereas the margarine and polyunsaturated fats like canola oil, safflower, sunflower, yeah, these are horrendous for, for, for male hormone status. Yeah, absolutely. Like all this stuff, male, female, we've been so affected. Like as a generation, we have had so much stuff thrown at us from uh, this incredible increase in plastic bottles to plastics and everything, you know, these uh, uh, pseudo estrogens, like never before have we been attacked by so many things through our youth, I think, right? Um, where our parents just didn't know, you know, I, I would have, my diet in a day would have been, you know, uh, Wonder Bread with really bad, probably moldy peanut butter, super high sugar jam, you know, as my lunch, of course, I had just sugary cereal for breakfast, came home to, uh, you know, in Canada, it's like a cordial here, but it was called, it's called Kool-Aid. And it was literally like a, a packet of, you put a cup of sugar into two cups of water, and a little red packet of flavoring is called Kool-Aid. And that's what they give me after I got home from school. You know, I, um, then I moved on to Coke. And then, you know, at some point they said, uh, you know, hey, listen, Joe, you better have Diet Coke now, <laughs> right? Like, so that was what most of us grew up on, this crazy bad nutrition and sucking back plastic bottles and all this uh, stuff. So we've now affected our hormones really badly. And this is, I think, why we have this incredible prominence of 
Right, like look at the um, amount of, uh, of of male uh, menopause, right? Like, and, uh, and not to mention, you know, uh, earlier menopause in uh, in females, and just a crazy amount of autoimmunes and hormonal uh, disorders. Nuts. Mm. So we got to be doing more now to counteract that. I think. Absolutely, and I think um, we're both both on a mission there to like help educate people and. Yeah, teach people about the consequences associated with, you know, plastics and our environment and things like that. But what I'd love to discuss now, Joe, would be um, I guess the the aspect of cyclical keto. And did you want to sort of explain why people like to dip in and out of keto, uh, you know, of the keto diet? Yeah, you know, like when I came into keto, there was targeted keto and cyclical keto and keto, right? And and it was a way of um, at the time it was like, wow, they're really getting specific on things, and it was for different uh, trying to figure out how an athlete gets fat adapted because you were taking you're taking people and they've been fueling on carbs, not just fueling on carbs, but like all carbs. Right. You know, every, you know, anybody was at some point, uh, you know, six meal a day, like massive carb loading. That was it. Um, and it was the only idea. So you take somebody like that, that's been, you know, they were born, they were living on a, a high fat, low carb diet, mother's milk. And then they started sipping from a, a sippy cup at some point and weaning onto the standard American diet, standard world diet. And then every time they got hungry since then, they gave themselves primarily carbs. So they suppress their ability to um, to use fats, not only like produce ketones, but they suppress their ability to even use fats as an as an energy source. And then our you know then our body got used to well the carbs aren't really actually that efficient, especially if we're doing exercising. So now we start going to the next thing that our body uses, which is protein. All right, like so protein very easily converts into glucose, but we're not supposed to be converting our protein into glucose. So, um, so as then keto became prevalent again, people were like, they couldn't even get it straight in their head how this would work. So they tried to give them ways to understand it and make it work for them through that adaption phase. And so, you know, so a targeted keto diet is a uh, one that um, you have carbs at very specific times and a cyclical one is when you come in and out of it. I think the evolution that we're now in is realizing that, you know, if somebody says, oh, no, we're supposed to be in keto all the time. That's how we're supposed to operate. They're probably, you know, they're as, um, they're not right. <laughs> like I think, you know, if we look at it in the, uh, as we were uh, evolving as humans, we. Yeah. So Joe, I guess one, one other thing I'd love to dive deeper into is, um, there is some awesome research around how uh, ketones can affect exercise performance. Even though athletes may not be on, on the keto diet, they actually use exogenous ketones to enhance athletic performance. Do you, do you want to sort of share what they found there? Yeah, the the verdict's not out on that yet either, right? The, the, um, because it is also new. So they've done some research on, in, on exogenous ketones and athletes. It's a very difficult thing to do research on, right? Because what they started off doing, and this is where, you know, it gets so confusing with what you see out there. The first couple studies on um, uh, pro cyclists showed not very much improvement, right? There was, um, there was one and they took like 19 uh, cyclists that weren't on a keto diet 
and they gave him an MCT mixed with uh, exogenous ketone supplement. And most of them got stomach issues. So they didn't perform well. So then they've got this study that shows results where like people weren't performing all that well. And, um, and then everybody grabs a hold of it and reads the conclusion bit saying, uh, you know, uh, not much performance improvement. And they say exogenous ketones don't work for, for athletes. Right. And then they've done some other ones where they, uh, you know, an, another one on the ester and cyclists, and they showed a, you know, a fraction of a second uh, more basically, or like a, you know, a very small improvement, but to a pro cyclist, that's the difference between, you know, first and fifth. So it was to anybody in the know about, you know, uh, real, like uh, that kind of higher level um, performance, they were like very enthused by it. Right. So what if you think about it logically, though, if you've got an energy source, what we do know about ketones is they produce 30 um, percent more energy than carbohydrates. Right. Just as an energy source. So if you've got this energy source that produces uh, more energy than another energy source, then that's going to be good. And it produces that energy with utilizing less oxygen. Right. So whatever, you know, workout you're doing, you know, that can be good as well. Then you've got something where the research is showing that these these energy molecules are also signaling uh, molecules as well. So unlike other macronutrients, it's a dual metabolite, right? A cell signaling device and a uh, an energy source. So very unique. So um, as you're producing this energy more efficiently, um, it's also uh, some great research about it being anti-inflammatory, right? So if we can lower, like, you know, so if we can turn off some inflammatory pathways and turn on some anti-inflammatory ones, that's going to be great for recovery. Plus, if you're taking exogenous ketones and you're doing anything like, you know, say a CrossFit workout or something like that, you're using all carbs, right? But then... As the carbs deplete, now you've got this energy source. If you're, you know, drinking ketones as well, then you've got this energy source that your brain loves. So now, as you're, you know, we know like the thinking aspect of any sport is going to be super important. So where the the body would normally deplete its normal energy source, and then not only does your body get tired, but so does your brain, and you start to make slower decisions, choices, your reaction times go down. Now that's staying sharper longer. Right. So very difficult to get in human studies to be able to show this because it also might be like, you know, the first time that you drank ketones. Right. Or, you know, the first time you went into a keto diet, you weren't very efficient at using ketones yet because you haven't used them for years. So we got to go with a, a real effective study would be to take a whole big group of athletes that haven't been in keto before and help them through a keto adoption phase of like six weeks to three months. And then, you know, not change their diet other than them ingesting exogenous ketones and then see how their performance is on a whole bunch of different tests. But I mean, you know, people aren't going to do those, right? That's going to be the most expensive study ever, basically impossible to do. And, uh, and so that's why it doesn't get done. But I think as the longer they're in the market, the understanding of it comes in, you know, you get more people that have been taking it for long enough. The anecdotal evidence will drive the future research. And, you know, eventually I think we'll all know that we should be getting more ketones into our body in some way. Yeah. Yeah. No, really, really well explained. I, I actually, I forgot about the aspect of, um, you know, the body doesn't require oxygen to utilize the ketones. And number two, the, um, 
ATP yield of burning uh, fats or ketones versus carbohydrates is much stronger. So just then and there is a simple enough reason for, for it to appeal to athletes, I guess. Yeah. I think, you know, as we, you know, look at like, we, again, we were, uh, you know, the, probably an Australian athlete, same as a Canadian hockey player, you know, was uh, uh, drinking beer and eating pizza the night before a game, you know, uh, 15 years ago. Right. And now we've gone into a little bit of knowledge of nutrition. And now with the amount of money that's in athletes, Athletics, but also just the amount of knowledge around this, whether, you know, you're a, an athlete or a weekend warrior or like a 47 year old guy that just wants to do all the stuff that he loves for the rest of his life, you're looking to optimize. Right. And, um, and so as we do that, uh, I think if we're looking into, you know, what are the best ways to optimize, you know, highly suggest that everybody, you know, get on to try, do a, a real trial, 90 to 120 days of taking exogenous ketones to really see what it can do for your body and your brain. And it will really, if nothing else, help you move back towards that metabolic flexibility that you were meant to have of being able to use ketones efficiently and being able to use fat efficiently. And look, if you're in any workout and you are like, you didn't carb up correctly or whatever, or, or if you, uh, you know, if you just like don't have access to food and you're going through your work day and you're finding yourself getting hangry, I mean, that's a sign that you're not metabolically flexible. Your body's not efficiently using all of its energy sources. If you can't switch in between fuel sources very easily. So if nothing else, drinking ketones will, can help you with that adaption phase of getting back to that. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. So Joe, I'd love to ask you about a pretty, um, this is, I guess would be one of the biggest critiques. Um, it would be around how the keto diet affects thyroid function and specifically whether or not you've seen blood work before and after looking at, let's say T T4, T3 levels after being on the keto diet. Yeah. It's look, it's a, uh, it's a great, actually illustration of the challenges that we face and all this, uh, this, this infighting, you know, between nutritionists, right? I think, you know, the it's, and it's not coming from a, I, I think that there's some misinformation that's being provided by organizations like the American Heart Association until recently, the Diabetes Association that was confusing people, Right. Like they're still saying saturated fats are bad. Right. You know, they're still saying, uh, you know, to, because they're trying to sell drugs. Right. So that and they have a lot of money. So they put out a lot of information. There was a you know a study out of Europe uh, a couple of years ago that said uh, coconut oil was poisonous. Right. Just like and then people see that. They're like, oh, no. See, I knew it. I knew that uh, these health nuts were wrong. Um, and uh, and then at the same time, you get, uh, you know, a nutritionist that puts out a thing that says, you know, the keto diet is impairing hormonal production, thyroid production. And I think that that's what I've read, what I've seen is that that, that impairment might be like a lowering of it, but they'll use the impairment. However, like if you are getting someone into a keto diet, and when you look at these different studies where the uh, the the T three and the T four has been impaired, right? If you are um, getting the weight down mm. and the fat off and changing the fueling system, then maybe that lower T three or T four is okay, mm. right? And maybe it's just um, uh, a different uh, way of um, of fueling our system. So that's where it gets like really confusing with that. I think 
you know, at the at the same time, the other thing that's uh, confused it is like the the real hardcore staunch keto people that are like, no, definitely go keto the rest of your life, right? For some people, you know, you probably shouldn't, right? Because the effect on their, uh, just the, the amount of hormones and the amount of thyroid in their body, it's just like, you know, my wife has Hashimoto's. The amount of, she takes a, a natural thyroid replacement and the amount of that she needs to take is different from somebody else. Some people just don't respond to the natural stuff. They have to be on thyroxine, right? So it's a very difficult thing and to, to say, you know, to, to say one extreme or that there is one singular method that is going to work for every single person. I think that, you know, people should, uh, everybody should be lowering the amount of sugar and processed foods that are in their body. 100%. Other than that, the amount of, uh, of carbs needs to be what's appropriate for that individual person. Mm. How do they feel? Right. And knowing that like for someone that is, you know, looking, that's got some thyroid problems that wants to help themselves with hormonal imbalances in general, that as they ease into a different lifestyle, a healthier lifestyle, lower sugar, lower, you know, carbs that don't spike your blood sugar so much as they ease into that, that there's going to be an adjustment phase. Um, so do some things to help yourself through it, right? Like, you know, the ketones or upping your MCT oil, all these different energy sources that can help somebody through that type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that way, so that's, I guess there's, there's, I don't know the answer. I don't think anybody does yet. I think that, you know, in the same way that, um, you know, people say meat is bad, because there's a study that said, you know, people that are eating a lot of steak have heart problems. Well, the people that were eating a lot of steak were also on a standard American diet and have a whole bunch of processed crap, um, which, you know, threw everything off. Right. So I think there's no doubt that if we, if everybody lowers their carbohydrate intake, if somebody's got uh, an obesity problem, well, we need to deal with that. And a very efficient way of dealing with that is to have your body actually use its own fat as an energy source, because the fat's going to come off faster in a caloric deficit uh, situation. When the body then goes looking for the extra energy, it's not going to find it in the muscle. So it can be a great way of losing fat, not losing muscle mass in anybody. And then if it's properly monitored and coached by good health professionals that know what they're doing, then you can kind of adjust things. And if somebody's got like, I think everybody should go get a hormone test. Right. You have so many people that are they're not losing the weight, but they haven't done any testing. Right. They're just getting they get so frustrated and then they get more stressed and more cortisol in their life. Get some hormonal testing. Talk to a great naturopath, you know, or holistic health practitioner, integrative health practitioner that is open to things. They don't have to be uh, they shouldn't say keto is the one the, the be all end all for every single person. You should be in keto the rest of your life. But if they are not into low carbohydrates diets they they're just <laughs> have their head in the sand mm. right so yeah there's no one cookie cutter method i don't think there's one answer but um you know i think that definitely there the misinformation is out there and everything that i've read is that there is no conclusion studies to say that it does actually uh is bad for uh thyroid production mm. cool yeah i think that's a really um you know, broad perspective. And I guess the way that you look at it in terms of, even if it does slightly lower T3, I mean, if we look at all the benefits associated with, you know, the reduction in body, body fat improvement in metabolic uh, flexibility, that sort of does outweigh the, 
if there is a, a minor decrease in T3, I guess it's more of an adjustment. So that's really cool in terms of that. But Joe, I'd sort of love, love to finish off with um, what you think is the future of, you know, ketogenic diet research. Where do you think that's sort of heading? Well, from a research perspective, I mean, it's just going to snowball more and more. And it's really shifted from just the keto diet into, you know, the original stuff was uh, when exogenous ketones came out, exogenous ketones either from MCT oil, which produces ketones or ketone salts or ketone esters. Everybody was like, well, we don't know whether it's the same as the keto diet. And now there's more like most of the studies coming out doing, here's people in the keto diet, here's people that are just taking exogenous ketones. And they're showing that whether they're on the keto, wherever they're getting their ketones, the ketones are having a great effect. And so now that I guess the world's opening back up again, hopefully, and things are getting back to normal. Science is continuing to snowball. And I mean, I think there's more money going towards it because they've seen some great things with ketones and the keto diet and immune function. So there's now a marketable reason for it, which in this case could be a great thing. So the, the future of it is that it gets more and more. Uh, I think we're in a uh, an education period right now. And then at some point, it will be just a mass acceptance of the fact that we need to be moving towards this carb-appropriate lifestyle. And ideally, I think what you're going to start to hear more and more about is, is that metabolic flexibility talk. And, uh, and metabolic flexibility just means, you know, you are able to use carbs, what they're utilized for, this fast energy, right? Protein for muscle repair and preservation and fats as this long outlasting energy source and that we should be producing ketones at a higher level just in general just because of a lower carbohydrate lifestyle and be able to switch in between that and if our body needs to um, uh, tap more into fat and produce ketones that it can very easily mm -hmm. right? that's metabolically flexible and that's going to have this spillover effect on all areas of health. And I think if we can, I think it's the one thing that will bring them all together because you can be metabolically flexible and be vegan, right? Opinions aside, whether or not it's good for you or not, or, you know, but I mean, people are very passionate about animals, right? So I understand it. And, um, uh, so you can be metabolically flexible and you can be carnivore. You can be metabolically flexible and be keto. The thing is, is that everybody needs to go to really take a look at how much carbs they're putting in their body for a while, because we need to reverse this freaking insulin resistance, this thing. Like that's, what's leading to the brain function impairment moving forward. Everything from neurological disorders to mood disorders, to everything that improperly energizing our brain, because the longer you stay, carb fueled and it has more of effect on more people then our brain becomes more insulin resistant and then our brain's not becoming properly energized and an unenergized brain is a brain that gets old fast if you want to put it in as simple terms as possible and they now have actually proof of that that a keto diet or drinking exogenous ketones will slow the aging of the brain i mean if that's not enough of a reason for people to reduce their carbohydrates like i mean if you don't want to be you know wheeled out <laughs> to stare at a TV uh, from your uh, in your hospital at a young age, then you know let's be more carb appropriate. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, and yeah, so that a greater understanding of it and a greater acceptance of it, and I think we get to, to bind us all together, all these warring factions of the nutrition world that really have a lot of care for the the future people, and stick to to one thing, saying no matter what way you're getting your fuel, if we can just help the body get back to its native state. 
the better. And so, you know, another uh, five, 10 years, I think we're all going to be much closer to that spot. You know, hopefully people start thinking a lot more about what we can be doing to improve our immune system through food uh, instead of just uh, injectables. And, um, and uh, we'll be in a much better spot. I think we're closer, right? Closer to this uh, era of, of actual knowledge and intelligence around how we fuel our bodies. Yeah, yeah. No, that's a, a really balanced view then, very pragmatic approach. And um, yeah, I think, you know, a lot of people are starting to pay more attention to the things that, you know, we're both discussing. And um, yeah, I think uh, I think today was a great sort of conversation to, you know, bridge the gap in terms of, you know, filling in the filling in the gaps there with misunderstandings around the keto diet especially for myself and even exogenous ketones so um joe where can people i guess connect with you or if they want to learn more about ketones where can they um where can where can they find you well keto evolved on instagram is our evolution of keto presence uh, keto-evolved.com and that's I, I think hopefully it is that balanced um approach to it and um and people understand that there's the no one cookie cutter method. And we really just want to end the diet confusion epidemic. So uh, any of those social medias is a, is a great spot to find me talking about this stuff all the time. Awesome. Awesome. All right, Joe. Well, thanks for coming on the show, man. Uh, Lucas, a great pleasure, buddy. Anytime. Thank you everyone for joining in to today's episode. For in-depth show notes and lessons learned, visit nofilter.media forward slash Boost your biology. This has been a No Filter Media production. Say what you want. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.